Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, where professional Christian counselors share practical life and Bible insights. Why? Because hearts and minds matter. We're glad you joined our show today to hear from our host, Tova Kreps, president of Wellspring Counseling in Miami. Tova is a licensed therapist with many years of experience as a Christian counselor. Tova teaches, writes, and consults, and LifeFM is pleased to have Wellspring Counseling restoring hearts and minds in our community. Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, and I'm Tova from Wellspring Counseling, wanting to talk today about sins, guilt, regrets, and apologies, or in other words, how to get it right by admitting that you're wrong. So don't change your dial as I dive into practical life applications as to how to handle your failures. You do have failures, right? I know I do. If the title of this show, Sin, Guilt, Regrets, and Apologies, interests you, it's likely that you feel bad about yourself somehow. Maybe you think you're a bad person, undeserving of God's love or the love of others. Perhaps you feel your failures are unforgivable and you must either spend your life making up for them or live with them with your head bowed down in shame. This teaching will not change what's true about you in the past. I can't fix any of your failures any more than I can fix mine. Maybe you really did screw up big time. Maybe you sinned against others and maybe you caused great damage that you can never make right. Or... Maybe you've made mistakes or missed opportunities that can never be retrieved. Years of your life may have been wasted. The truth is the truth. But another question needs to be asked, which is, now what? The trap of guilt is that it keeps you from doing better in the present. Whether you did or did not mess up in the past, you can't change what has already happened. The big question is, what are you going to do today? So you only have so many choices about what you're going to do with your guilt. Here are your choices. First, you can be bound by the past and live with regret and shame. That's a choice. Second, you can be bound by the past and try to make up for your past through penance or overcompensation, somehow trying to balance the scales of justice for yourself. Third, you can be forgiven, make amends, and live and learn better today from your failures. Those are your three choices. Live with regret and shame, try to fix it and make up for it, or be forgiven and learn how to live better. Changing the past is not one of your choices, so figure out how to move on. This talk is a guide for how to do that. So before we get into the how-tos, let's talk about some principles that relate to guilt. Principle number one, carrying guilt is a type of bondage. Why do we need to acknowledge our guilt, our sins, and our regrets? Why can't we just keep them hidden? The answer is because acknowledgement is the path to freedom from the bondage of guilt. As long as we refuse to confess the truths of our failures, we remain bound to them forever. Let me say that again. As long as we refuse to confess the truths of our failures, we remain bound to them forever. They're like a chain binding us to a point in time. We continue to ruminate over what we could have done or should have done. We live with regret. We live with shame. We live with guilt. And it's something we're forever trying to correct. So let me tell you a story about someone who was not actually named Amanda. Amanda was a single mother with a young son. She was dating in hopes of finding a new partner and a father to her son. But one of her dating choices was very poor. She left her son for babysitting with this man and was called to the hospital later in the day because her son had been severely injured. The man had physically abused the boy. After caring for the child and making sure the man got justice, which she bravely did, Amanda was still left with guilt and regret. She wasn't the one who had sinned, but she had great regrets and guilt over her son's injuries. 
How had her judgment been so bad? If only she'd stayed home that day. She should have known that the man could be abusive. The regret came to Amanda in waves of grief. She spent the next 15 years trying to make up for this in her son's life. The result of her guilt was as tragic as the abuse itself. Because of her guilt, which she could not get rid of, she had great trouble disciplining her son, always relenting in her consequences out of pity for him. He became a truly unruly teen, which is when I met him. And at any moment, he could manipulate his mother with his guilt. She found herself repeatedly asking his forgiveness at times that she would have been much better off to require repentance from him. She was so bound to her regret that it ruined her parenting. And later, he struggled with success in life because of his lack of discipline. This is what I am talking about when I talk about being bound to the past. Freedom comes in acknowledging the truth of our regrets, learning to forgive ourselves, have God's forgiveness, and learn new lessons that set us free. So when you have a regret, there are questions you need to ask yourself. First, was my failure a sin? Was it intentional, malintended, out of a rebellious heart? Was it something you knew better and did anyway? That's sin. Or was your failure a mistake? Something that you didn't know any better. It's just only in hindsight that you knew it should have been different than it was. Third question is, is this false guilt or real guilt that someone else is putting on you? There are solutions to your sin and your mistakes and your regrets, but the answers depend on the reason for the failure. So you need to look closely at it. The solutions can set us free to move out of the past and live in the present. But again, which solution is it you need? It depends on the answers to your questions. First, if your failure was sin, it needs to be repented to God. You need to acknowledge your sin to God, to yourself and to God, and you need to repent of that sin and ask for God to forgive you. You also need to forgive yourself. Second, if you sin to other people in addition to God, then you need to repent and acknowledge that. You need to make amends. You need to fix what you did and you need to make it right as best as you can. And at the very least, acknowledge to other people that you've sinned against them. What if it's a mistake? Mistakes also need to be acknowledged because if you don't acknowledge that you failed, you can't learn from it and do better next time and you can't grieve it and you can't forgive yourself of it. If you just pretend you always got it right because you can't handle the failure, you can't grow. It's like being in a sport and refusing to ever let a coach tell you how to do it better. Mistakes need to be acknowledged so you can learn from them and grieve them. And regret and painful consequences that we that come from our mistakes, they just need to be grieved. That's what you do with them. You grieve the loss of what you could have done, should have done, wish you had done, but maybe didn't know to do. You just let it be okay. You forgive yourself and grieve the consequences that you don't live in a perfect world yet. You're not home yet. You're not in heaven yet. Let it just be okay. If it's false guilt, you didn't do anything that you regret, anything that was a sin and not even a mistake, it's just somebody else telling you that you should have done differently, then possibly your response is to set boundaries with that person and maybe even forgive them for being so critical or judgmental or manipulative. But all of these things, whether it's a sin or a mistake or just something you regret or um, 
even false guilt from others teach us lessons on how to live better in the future. If we acknowledge these things, we can move forward. Then we can move on. Then we can be forgiven and forgive ourselves and be the best we can be today without spending time beating ourselves up for it. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Our refusal to acknowledge our failures and to keep them as secrets or to lie to ourselves about them gives Satan an open invitation to make us feel bad about ourselves. The trap of this is that we focus on how bad we are so much that we fail to make good choices in the present. We tell ourselves things like, I was so bad then, no one could love me now, or I wasted all those blanks, or I can never be happy now, or I'm bad, I'm worthless, I just don't deserve to be happy. All of those are Satan's trap to keep us tied and bound to the past, living in secrecy and shame, and unable to live in the future and in the present, forgiven loved, and able to move on. Again, freedom comes from honestly facing our failures and doing something with them. We admit, repent, fix, grieve, and learn from our mistakes, and then we can move on. Changing the past is impossible, but we can choose to stop letting the past ruin the present. So principle number one was carrying guilt is a type of bondage. Principle number two is that offenses don't go away. When I was in middle school, I was best friends with two other girls. One of them came from a rough home, and by high school, she was getting, quote, involved with lots of boys. The other friend and I, not very good friends, judged her for her behavior and soon ostracized her. At our 20-year high school reunion, she came up to confront us. She told us how much our gossip had hurt her and that she'd become a Christian and wanted us to know that she forgave us. I, by the way, was a Christian when I was in high school. You see, the offense never went away. The 20 years had not reduced any of the pain for her, but Jesus had. Offenses against others are remembered until they're resolved. Over the years in counseling, I've worked with a number of people who were sexually abused as children. Often as they progressed through their healing process, they would choose to talk to their abusers for their own sake. It's interesting that during this process, the clients often wondered if the offender even remembered what happened. Almost always they did. When the offender was currently a decent person, the conversations that were had many years later were wonderfully freeing, not only for the clients who spoke the truth, but for the offender who desperately needed forgiveness but had never asked, hoping but never knowing if time had healed the wounds or that the offenses had been forgotten. They're not forgotten. They wait to be resolved. So let me say it again. Offenses don't go away until they're resolved. They need to be acknowledged. The truth needs to be told in order for freedom to occur. Principle number three is there is a need for justice. One of the reasons offenses don't go away is because we all have a need for justice. This longing is a part of God's image in us. We are like him in that we long for justice. God is a just God and we long for justice. Little children do not need to be taught this. From a very early age, they'll begin to talk to their parents about what is fair, particularly with their brothers and sisters. They're bothered when someone gets away with doing wrong, and they feel guilty when they get away with it, too. Let me give you another example of how we long for justice. Let's imagine that someone you love, maybe your mother, has a horrible crime committed against them, and that the person gets arrested But the police botch the process, and so when that person goes to court, they get away with it. How do you feel on the inside when this horrible thing that happened to your loved one, the person who perpetrated it, gets off scot-free? Something inside of you rebels, right? Something in you says, this is wrong, justice should be served. 
That longing for justice is from God. That's what I'm saying to you. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is why Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. God never takes our sins and ignores them and says, oh, I don't really mind. He says, sins occurred, justice will be served, but I love you enough to pay the price for your justice. But somebody always pays. God says there will be justice. And we, like God, in our hearts say there will be justice. This is why we need to acknowledge our guilt. Because if somebody forgives us for our sins against them, it is a gift to us because what they deserve is justice on us. What we deserve is to be held accountable. So when we ask for forgiveness, we're asking them to pay the price and to let go of our sin. There is a need for justice. It is fair. It is right. It is good. And it is like God. So you see, guilt is a real issue in our life that needs to be remedied. We know we deserve it, but we also don't like pain. So we try to stay in control of how justice is meted out. We keep our guilt a secret, partly to avoid the pain and shame, but also so that we don't have to let others decide our punishments. We like control, and we don't like pain, and we don't like shame. The problem is that we're not often very fair judges of ourselves. So some of us excuse ourselves or blame others for what we should take responsibility for. Others of us punish ourselves mercilessly and endlessly. Because we try to keep it all a secret and be our own judges, juries, defendants all at the same time, we are never sure of the truth, and so we also never finish our own trials. We just keep on punishing ourselves and hope that it's enough, but we're never really satisfied or sure about it. It's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be a secret. Our failures are meant to be acknowledged and forgiven. Principle number four, we need to separate false guilt from the true guilt in order to have freedom. Okay, that's our first three principles, which were carrying guilt is a type of bondage. Offenses don't go away, and there is a need for justice. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back for our last principles and our how-tos. Do you want to get social with Wellspring Counseling? Follow them on Facebook at Wellspring Counseling or Twitter at Wellspring Miami, and their Instagram is Wellspring Counseling. And subscribe to their e-news at wellspringmiami.org to receive the latest news about their programs and events. Hi again. Welcome back. This is Tova, and we're on Wellspring on the Air. And today I'm talking about sin, guilt, regrets, and apologies. And we've been covering some principles about sins and guilts. We've done three so far. If you missed that, you can get a recording of this on the Wellspring website. But let's move on to principle number four, which is that we need to separate false guilt from true guilt in order to find real freedom. My former pastor, Steve Brown, said, never call a mistake a sin and never call a sin a mistake. Real guilt needs to be repented of. False guilt needs to be exposed since it wasn't really sin and we can never fix it. One cause for false guilt is to feel guilty for things we actually could not control but wish we could or thought we should have. For example, not protecting a sibling or a mother from abuse by a father when you were a child yourself or not having acted differently to prevent negative circumstances or losses. These feelings really need to be expressed to God as hurts. They're not guilt. They may not be your fault at all. 
they're just things you regret and you're so hurt and disappointed that you couldn't do differently at the time, that you weren't old enough or wise enough or strong enough, or that you didn't know enough. Those false guilts need to just be grieved as loss and sadness. The second source of false guilt is from other people who blame us for things. This is when we feel guilty, not because we did our own a sin or did anything that we feel guilty about. It's because somebody else is telling us we should feel guilty. And they do this to control us or to excuse their own failures and avoid their own responsibility or to shame us into behaving differently so that we live the way they want us to. Or they're passing on shame from their own issues in the past. Regardless, we need to expose this type of false guilt too because it sets us free to let this be their problem instead of ours. And then we can decide if we need to set boundaries with them or speak truth or just let it go and let it be their problem. And that brings us to principle number five, which is accepting forgiveness is hard. Although we have a longing for justice, justice on ourselves is something we try to avoid. But we also try to avoid forgiveness. And the reason is that it wounds our pride to have to be forgiven by somebody. We would rather earn their forgiveness so that they owe it to us. That feels a lot better and a lot more comfortable than being dependent on them to give us the gift of mercy, the gift of forgiveness. That wounds our pride and it also puts them in control and us in a vulnerable position of hoping they forgive us instead of requiring they forgive us because they're our relative or our spouse or something. It's amazing that evidently most of us would rather live under the bondage of guilt than to be beholden to someone else for the gift of forgiveness. But I'm sorry to tell you this, acknowledgement is the only path to freedom. Give it a try. It's really not so bad. God promises forgiveness, and he doesn't shame us for receiving it. Forgiveness is his free gift. He pays the price, and we get off the hook. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He does it because he loves us, and he wants us to be free to have a relationship with him. It's hard to imagine that we could actually go around saying, Yeah, I really screwed that up, but it's in the past. I'm forgiven, and I'm trying to live differently, and God loves me anyway. Let's try that again. See if you can say it to yourself along with me. Yeah, I really screwed that up, but it's in the past, and I'm forgiven, trying to live differently now, and God loves me. Feels strange, doesn't it? But just give it a try, or try this one. I'm not okay, but it's okay. God loves me anyway, and I'm doing the best I can today. It's hard to accept forgiveness, but we can do it. Okay, principle number six. Admitting we have failed is a key ingredient to mental health and a healthy relationship. Admitting we're wrong or that we failed frees us in our relationship to God because we're in the right frame of reference with him and we're no longer guilty or hiding from him. Admitting we have failed also frees us to resolve conflicts with others. Conflicts with others is normal and expected. But if we can't admit we're wrong, we will be driven to defend ourselves. And this keeps us from being able to resolve the conflicts with others and keep a good relationship going. Admitting we're wrong or that we failed also helps us to learn from our mistakes. If you can't admit it, how can you change it for the future? So what are the actual how-tos of acknowledging failures? First of all, you need to figure out if you need to repent to others. When do you have to do that? Well, the simple answer is when you're convicted in your heart. If you're aware of it, you probably need to say something about it. The other is if somebody else makes you aware of it. If they tell you you've offended them, even if you weren't wrong or you didn't sin or it wasn't on purpose, acknowledging to them at least the pain of the experience is very, very powerful and healing for them. 
And acknowledging that you did something that caused them to suffer does not mean you sinned against them on purpose. It just means that your actions affected them and you acknowledge that. And of course, if it's sin, you actually need to acknowledge that. All right, that's when, so let's talk about how. First of all, how do you repent to others? You address everyone involved. You're trying to figure out who you need to say it to? It all depends on who is affected by it. If it was a whole school, you need to say the whole school. If it was the whole office, it's the whole office. If it's an individual, then keep only the individual in it. Secondly, do it privately and do it at a comfortable time. Don't make your apology in the middle of a time that someone can't respond or they're very busy or they can't really soak it in because you're just wanting to get it off your chest when it's convenient to you and not convenient for them. If you're really sorry, you'll choose a comfortable time and place for everyone involved and make it an event. Okay, third, how do you repent? You address everyone, you do it privately and at a comfortable time for everybody. And third, you use the five A's. And this is one of my favorite things to teach. You won't be able to get it all and memorize it probably from this radio show, but you can go to our website at wellspringmiami.org and you can either download a handout on this or you can listen to the show again. Or you could email me at ontheair at wellspringmiami.org wellspringmiami.org. Okay, so you can get more on this, but I'm going to just drive on through it. The five A's, and I need to give credit to this. This is from the Christian Conciliation Material by Ken and Charlotte Sandy, and their materials are great Christian materials on resolving conflict. This is the children's version, which is all I seem to be able to manage, which is called the five A's of an apology. All right, here we go. Number one, the first A is admit. Let me list them all first. Admit, apologize, accept, alter, and ask. All right, first, admit. First thing we have to do is admit what I did wrong. And the sentence that goes with this says, I admit I was wrong when I blank. Admit what you did wrong. And the sentence is, I admit I was wrong when I blank. Number two, apologize. Apologize for how your choice or your action affected somebody else. The sentence is, I am sorry for blank. And on the blank, you describe the effect on the other person. The third is accept. We accept the consequences. And the sentence is, I accept that blank. And you state the consequences to you of your actions and how they've affected the situation. Four, alter. I'm going to change my choice in the future. Sentence goes like this. Next time, I will blank. And you talk about how you're going to change in the future. Number five, ask forgiveness. The statement is, will you forgive me? And you stop and you wait for that answer. Okay, admit, apologize, accept, alter, and ask. Now, on the first two, I want to go back and and make a note. When you admit what you did wrong, you're talking about what you did, your behavior, your action. When you apologize, you're talking about the effect on the other person. We often get these confused and do one or the other, but not both. What people are often waiting for is to hear that you know how you affected them. Other times they're waiting for you to honestly acknowledge your behavior. Usually we have to do both. If what you did was not a sin, it wasn't wrong, but you just are acknowledging the effect on someone else, you get to skip the admit. Okay, admit, apologize, accept, alter, and ask. So let me try a few of these out. Let's try there's a parent to a child. So 
let's say the parent yelled at their child and said, I can't wait until you're 18 and leave this house. Okay, now those are awfully harsh words, right? So let's say this parent feels guilty. They said this in the heat of anger because that can happen on our, when our kids are turning 17 and 18 and almost out of the house. And this parent loves this child and wants to apologize. So her sentences or his sentences would go like this. I admit I was wrong when I yelled at you and said I couldn't wait for you to leave. I'm sorry for making you feel bad and possibly unloved or unwanted. I accept that you may want to keep a distance from me for a while or struggle to trust that I really love you and want you to be here. Next time, I'll control my tongue no matter how angry I am at the time. Will you forgive me? All right, that's parent to child. How'd you like that? That was the five A's. Let's try husband to wife. And this one, we're saying a husband criticized the handling of the house at dinner time. Then he didn't talk to his wife all evening. And then at the end of the evening, he was expecting intimacy at bedtime. All right, let's hear it. Here it goes. Husband to a wife. I, was, I admit I was wrong when I criticized you about dinner, punished you by being silent, and still expected intimacy at bedtime. I'm sorry for possibly making you feel used. I accept that you may be angry at me for a while and not want to be intimate. Next time, I'll be more kind when I tell you about my disappointments and more loving before asking for intimacy. Will you forgive me? Wouldn't that sound wonderful to hear? All right, just for fairness, let's do a wife to a husband. All right, this wife, she's sneaking money. They made financial decisions together and she sneaked money, uh, spending money on the side. Here's her apology. I admit I was wrong when I sneaked to spend money you asked me not to spend and we decided together not to. I am sorry for making you feel disrespected and ignored. I accept that you may be suspicious in the future that I'm telling you the truth or not. Next time, I'll tell you directly if I disagree with our spending decisions and I will not be sneaky. Will you forgive me? I really hope you like the five A's. I love them. You can memorize them, use them all the time, teach them to your children, teach them to your spouses. And if you want a copy of those five A's, again, just write me with an email to on the air at wellspringmiami.org. Okay, so let me give you a few extra cautions on repenting to other people. First of all, real repentance recognizes that forgiveness is a gift offered by the other person. It does not demand forgiveness. So when you tell someone, well, you're my child or my parent or my spouse or you're a Christian, so you have to forgive me, that's a sign that you're not actually repentant. It's a gift. Secondly, real repentance does not repent in order to avoid consequences. Real repentance has that number three, which is accept the consequences. If you really know you're wrong, you're willing to accept that you've injured someone and there are consequences to be paid. The apology is to restore relationship. The apology is not to get out of consequences. Third, real repentance is not general. So watch out for these general statements of, I'm sorry if I ever hurt you, or I'm sorry if you think I hurt you. Those things are not real repentance. That's just getting out of consequences or getting out of not having to admit the truth of our failures. So what is real repentance? Real repentance is acknowledging that we've hurt other people, that we've sinned against them, and taking the full weight of responsibility. We cannot ignore or pretend it didn't happen. We cannot deny that it's a sin or justify it. We cannot minimize its effects on other people. We can't blame it on other people, and we cannot excuse it as not our responsibility. 
Lastly, I want to caution you against repenting against things you didn't do in order to restore relationship. If you're saying you're sorry all the time in order to get somebody else to quit being mad at you, you have a bad dynamic happening in that relationship. It's not a good thing to be, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you stepped on my foot. That doesn't work. You need to not be always apologizing for things you really didn't do. So when we have done things, we need to take responsibility. The rest of the time, we need to let it go. All right, if you have comments or questions about this, then email me at ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. There's a handout available on our website, and I look forward to hearing from you if you have any questions or comments or feedback. It's time to wrap up. This is Tova Crafts with Wellspring on the Air, because hearts and minds matter. Wellspring on the Air is a production of Wellspring Counseling, a nonprofit professional counseling center with multiple locations in Miami-Dade County. Wellspring therapists are licensed by the state of Florida and Christian in their worldviews. They have wide ranges of clinical expertise, including marriage, family, anxiety, depression, and trauma. Their diverse group of therapists includes several who speak Spanish or Portuguese. If you would like to know more about Wellspring's services of counseling and education, go to their website at wellspringmiami.org or give them a call at 786-573-7010 or email them at ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. Again, you can find a way to contact them at wellspringmiami.org.